If your school caught your kids dealing with drugs, doing self-harm, struggling with anorexia or bulimia, would you want them to tell you? How's it going, everybody? This is, of course, your favorite candidate in the world, your favorite podcaster in the world, your favorite uh, state uh, treasure candidate, of course, Andrew Cooperwriter, coming at you with another amazing episode of the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. I thank you guys so much for joining me today. As always, remember, you hit the share button. If you're on the Facebooks, you, you comment, you like. If you're on YouTube or Facebook, both help the algorithm make your comments known. Share it with others. Uh, tell people about it. Turn turn to people next to you say, hey, check out the Andrew Cooperwriter show. I love it. He's interesting. What he covers is great. If that's not true, say it anyways, because I'd appreciate it. And as always, if you're watching this on YouTube or Facebook as a, as a replay, or you don't want to watch the video, uh, you can watch, you can watch, you can listen to the audio only version available on Spotify and Apple and most other podcasting platforms. It's available actually earlier there than it is on video. Video drops at noon every Tuesday. And then the podcast itself is ready Tuesday mornings. I believe it posts like 530 AM. And so you can check it out there. If you want to listen to it in the car, you can share that with others. Regardless, I thank you guys for joining me. We've got some really great topics to cover today. Uh, we've got two elections I'm going to talk about. Uh, one is the uh, Jay Williams, Teresa Barton, state Senate race, um, mainly just because, well, <laughs> a little funny turn of events. We'll talk about that here in a second. Uh, then we've got the Shepherd Bilby race. That is for a judgeship there out of Franklin County. However, of the county judges, it is one of the most important in the state. We're going to cover why, and we're going to talk about the massive amount of money the Democrats have been dumping into Shepherd. And then as well, we've got an Anderson County school principal. He was suspended for refusing to follow um, some guidelines on using suggested pronouns, not telling parents. I looked at what the guidelines actually were, and uh, let me tell you, they shouldn't happen. Shouldn't happen. Uh, but we'll dig into that and more. But thank you guys for joining me. One more thing. Uh, text the word Liberty to 33777. That's Liberty to 33777. And of course, if you're feeling generous, if you want to see your favorite uh, political individual being elected to the state treasurer's office, you're going to visit that C4KY.com. That's C4KY.com and support that campaign. But let's dig into it. Let's start off with Let's start off with the Teresa Barton story. I, 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 I this is funny. Um, now, full disclosure, I know Jay Williams uh, pretty well. Me and him are, are, are friendly, at least. Maybe we're friends. I don't know. We don't whisper sweet nothings to each other at night. And we don't really, you know, do that kind of stuff. But Jay's a good guy. I like him a lot. I have a problem with the fact he wears felt jackets to places. But, you know, different generation, right? I just seem so warm. It just seems like a warm jacket, Jay. You need to you need to modernize that wardrobe, buddy. Um, but outside of that, I like Jay quite a bit. Now his name is spelled J J G E X, but it's pronounced J. 
Apparently, that's a common name when he was born in the 1800s. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just messing with you, Jay. Anyway, so interesting thing in his race, of course, he's the Republican nominee uh, for his Senate race there covering kind of stretches from from Franklin County there in Frankfurt up into northern Kentucky, Kenton County, Boone County, Gallatin County kind of area there kind of stretches up along the the the. Well, really, there's countryside. I don't think there's a road. There's not really a major road that connects Frankfurt to that area. So anyways, but stretches out through that area there. And um, he's in a, I mean, I call the race heated, but Jay's a good candidate. Jay has actually served priorly in the state Senate. He served in the 90s. Um, he's kind of known as, as famously as the Republican that led to the Senate taking over there. Um, there's there's a real interesting story. Maybe I'll cover it. Maybe I'll do a Kentucky political history episode, and I'll cover Jay Williams and the way that they were able to get um, something crazy done. Uh, they were able to get um, abortion bills and some other Republican bills passed in the state Senate when uh, at a time where they were not in the majority because they uh, some of the Republicans mainly I'm told masterminded by Jay um, kind of kind of mastermind to take over there. So uh, interesting stuff. Jay's, of course, a, a politically smart guy. He's in, he was backed and endorsed by Thomas Massey in his primary. That seems pretty good to me. Um, but so he's in this race against his Democrat, Teresa Barton. And Teresa Barton's not doing too well. And I know Teresa Barton's not doing too well because of, well... <laughs> <laughs> what she was caught doing caught red-handed let me show you what Teresa barton was caught doing uh-oh that looks like Teresa barton to me and what's she doing there well she if you notice she's next to a Teresa uh, a barton uh, a big sign and it was clearly on some sort of public property of some sort um and jay williams had a sign right next to the Teresa barton sign um apparently Somebody's been taking it down because, well, the Jay Williams campaign or somebody saw fit to put up a trail cam. <laughs> That's right, Teresa. Trail cam. Now, for those of you thinking, is it Teresa Barton? So what she's doing there, she's grabbing the sign. Okay. Um, it, it's easier to see in this photo here. You can see her standing there. She's looking at the Jay Williams sign and um, you see it missing in another photo. And on the left there, uh, you'll see Teresa Barton in all her sticky-fingered glory. Um, and then on the right, uh, that is the character who was caught stealing Jay Williams's yard signs. Now, I'm sorry. Let me be specific. Teresa Barton, if this isn't you, I'm sorry. That looks like Teresa. But how many people are running around with that haircut? I mean, I mean, it's a popular haircut. Don't get me wrong. But, I mean, she's got the hair length, the glasses... I mean, the, 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 I mean, here in this photo, you can tell she's wearing glasses. Um, as far as that goes, she's got, uh, same kind of hair, um, blonde, white. She looks like she'd ask for your manager. Um, you know, I think she is, I, I'm going to say that's Teresa, but now I'm not a detective. Um, but my rudimentary detective skills tells me that the person stealing a Jay Williams sign that looks like Teresa Barton, who's running against Jay Williams, is most likely Teresa Barton. And that's just hilarious. But that's classic Democrat ways, right? First off, one thing, you know, yard signs don't vote, okay? Here's the second thing. 
I don't know why she was stealing Jay Williams' yard sign. She hasn't come out and talked about it as far as I can tell. She hasn't come out and, and really discussed it. I'm sure if she was, her excuse would be, well, you know, that's an area I had up my sign and he put his next to mine and blah, blah, blah. But it looks like that is a public area and that's what Jay Williams has stated. That was an area he was allowed to have his sign. Clearly he was allowed to have a sign there. You know how I know? Because he had an expensive trail cam. Not maybe not him. But somebody had an expensive trail cam on the property watching the signs. So clearly if they were able to put up a risk putting up a trail cam, they probably had permission. And Teresa Barton Shame on you, Sticky Fingers Barton. Well, I tell you this much. If you live in um, the, the J. Williams Barton race area, if you live in the Franklin County area up into northern Kentucky and you see that race on your ballot, just remember, if she's willing to steal a yard sign, like... She didn't get somebody else to do it. That's what's crazy to me. <laughs> what? How small is her campaign team? I mean, you know, look, that is crazy to me that we got a candidate herself out here stealing yard signs. Go knock a door, Teresa. Okay. What are you doing? Go campaign, right? Picking up that yard sign. Who's driving by and is like, well, you know, I was going to bite for J vote for Jay Williams, but, uh, well, he doesn't have one yard sign in that one place, so I guess I'm not doing it. What use of time is that, Teresa? Focus on running your race. Focus on trying. To, uh, you're not going to. If if you've result, if 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 you believe stealing your opponent's yard signs is going to be the difference between victory or success, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. That's a little crazy to me. So if you vote for Teresa Barton, uh, shame on you. If you can't trust her with a yard sign, you can't trust her with the state budget. I will leave it at that. Okay, moving on. Other race out of Franklin County is the Joe Bilby Philip Shepard race. Of course, Philip Shepard is the incumbent. He is running there, uh, trying to hold on to his seat from Bilby. The reason why this race is so important. Well, first, let me let me frame this race and let me show you how important it is to the Democrats that Shepard hold on to this. And I say the Democrats because mainly Democrats have donated to him, including the Bashirs in the past have as well. But let's see how much he's raised. Look at that. $423,000 in a general election. Four hundred and twenty-three thousand dollars 423 for a judgeship now you may be asking yourself why is this judgeship so important well it is a fatal flaw not a fatal flaw but a flaw of our system that the the people who vote in franklin county can decide so the 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 judge that hears initially all the cases regarding state action so right now if there is an action, so if the governor or somebody is suing on a law um, that the legislature has passed, they're trying to rule something unconstitutional or not allowed or violative, well, it can't violate the law because they write the law, legislators do. But if it's involving the state government or involving laws or the legislature, the case is heard by uh, the Philip Shepard's court a lot of times. 
And they tried to fix this in the legislature by passing a law saying essentially that you could be elsewhere. So if you find if if if, for an example, I am aggrieved by a state uh, law, if I'm aggrieved by a state law, then I can uh, bring that case in the court that maybe I live in or where the aggrieved party is. And I don't have to take it up in Frankfurt. And and what we saw this, a good example of this was the HB1 lawsuits. There were three filed, one by Bashir against the legislature. I did a lot of podcasts about that lawsuit and how preposterous it was. Spoiler alert, the Kentucky uh, Supreme Court agrees that it was preposterous of Judge Shepard to do what he did in that. We'll cover that here in a second. But there was also uh, a few other suits brought, one in Georgetown and one in Boone County regarding HB1 from about two years ago. And that was the law uh, uh, controlling what old daddy Andy, old, old daddy Andy, <laughs> dandy Andy, um, you know, did as far as the lockdowns and mandates and stuff in the legislature, if you remember, they passed HB1 to rein him in. And then the law was injunctified. Um, I don't know what that means. The Supreme Court also didn't quite understand what was going on there because what happened was is Andy Bashir uh, himself sued the the legislature to injunctify. See, you got to understand how <laughs> our government works, why this is so weird. So legislators pass a law. Then the executive branch has to carry it out. I don't know who Andy Bashir was injunctifying. Because what he was doing is he's trying to sue the legislature over a law that they passed, but that doesn't make sense because after they pass the law, they don't do anything. They don't enforce it. Um, Andy enforces it. So how it should have happened was that a, a they passed the law, Andy tries to ignore the law, a citizen, an aggrieved party, then sues Andy in court for not following the law, and then that's hashed out. However, Andy went to the courts to injunctify the law, and it was really weird to the point where even the state Supreme Court ruled saying that Shepard was way out of bounds when he not only did he allow the case to continue, but he granted an injunction on a law from becoming law. And that doesn't make sense because once again, you got to have a case. You got to have a grieved party. You got to have some Andy Bashir's not in grieved party because they're checking his power. It isn't until he does something, then somebody sues him that then it becomes an aggrieved party. And I, I, like I said, I did a lot of videos on that, dig into it. But, you know, what happened is those cases, these two other cases, Boone and, and down in Scott and Boone, uh, they opened up cases. And what happened was is that one of the first things the state tried to do was get the cases moved um, into the Franklin County circuit there because, well, you know, that's, there's this case already going and that's where it's supposed to go and yada, yada, yada. The case was heard, though, ended up the Boone County judge uh, said, no, I, I this is involving Boone County. We're going to have this case here uh, with with um, Beans there, Richard Hayhoe at Beans. And they hashed the case out there and basically forced the Supreme Court to come out with their ruling. They're trying to avoid it because they knew they had a rule in the favor of the legislature. But all those liberals on there, uh, they really wanted the mandates to stay in place, but the law didn't agree with it. And so they had. They, they tried to slow it down, but for about six to eight months, it was unclear what the mandates were <laughs> because 
and whether they are legal or allowed because Judge Shepard went way outside his bounds as a judge. But that's not the first time he's done this. Another example of a case that Judge Shepard has overheard is involving these educational opportunity accounts, EOAs. And, and this case is getting argued uh, in the state Supreme Court, but Shepard first argued, and then um, I believe it was overturned, but he first argued that EOAs should be not allowed. Now, what are EOAs, Educational Opportunity Savings Accounts? What they were is, is that it was the ability to create a nonprofit. So you could create a nonprofit sanctioned by the state um, that then individuals could donate and corporations could donate money into these nonprofits and then get a, a tax incentive, essentially dollar for dollar, 97%. So if you donate a dollar, 97 cents could be a tax deduction. So simply uh, it was an enhanced giving and you gave to these educational opportunity accounts. And then those nonprofits would issue out, um, scholarships based upon means tested scholarships. And there were some laws regarding the means testing. And if you donated money into these educational opportunity accounts, your children could not, could not benefit from it. And so what this was about is simply saying, Hey, look, we're going to create an incentive program for rich people or companies to, to help send um, individuals of lower socioeconomical class to private schools and get an education they normally wouldn't get a chance to have. But Philip Shepard ruled that these are unconstitutional. Why? Well, he says that there's a line in our constitution that says that uh, the state has to provide uh, uh, public education. And that's been interpreted to mean that public funds pub, or, or public dollars cannot go to private schools. So like school choice, this is big and hampering effect here in Kentucky. However, educational opportunity savings accounts, he, he believes, this is what Shepard believes. He believes that by allowing you to donate into a nonprofit and then that nonprofit giving out scholarships by creating a tax incentive, that that somehow now is taking money out of the public schools. Why? Well, because you've got the kids now can opt to not go to the public school. Now, let me say that again. Because, okay, first, understand this. So let's say there's a nonprofit without the tax incentive. Right now, legally, that nonprofit could provide grants and scholarships to anybody they'd want to. A lot of private schools even do that now. They offer grants and scholarships to kids based upon a, a, a merit of factors. So there's no doubt that it's completely constitutional for you to donate money to whatever cause you want. So what Shepard has said is that, well, it's the incentive portion. So if, if the state's going to incentivize it, now that becomes unconstitutional. That doesn't make any sense. So because the state is going to create a, a, a tax refund for people to donate to sending poor kids to school, and now these kids have a choice of going to being stuck in underperforming public schools or getting to go to private schools. Now that becomes unconstitutional because those kids aren't being forced to go to that school. Now that now that they have options, that's now unconstitutional. That doesn't even make sense. And I got a feeling the Supreme Court, which is about to rule on this as I'm recording this this upcoming week. I got a feeling they're going to agree with me, maybe, if they haven't become completely political, useless hacks. And trust me, there's some of them on the board. I'm looking at you, Keller, Supreme Court. By the way, if you live in the northern Kentucky area, 
And you've got Joe Fisher versus Keller on your ballot. You're choosing Joe Fisher. Um, that's who you want to choose there. Keller is a crazy liberal. Anyway, so, but um, they should rule in the favor because time and time again, the courts have upheld that that money does not become government funds until it hits government accounts. Okay, so, so you, the government's never seeing this money. So if you offer a tax cut or tax incentive or, or some sort of tax subsidy to say, well, you know, you, you get this amount off your tax if you do X, Y, Z, the money they would have given to the government is not the government's. This has been upheld time and time again in court. That money the government has never taken in into their coffers is not theirs. Because that's what they're saying. They're saying that this not private nonprofit dollars is actually state dollars somehow. I, it, it makes no sense. But this is the same thing he did during COVID with HB1. He did these things that make no sense. It makes no legal sense. But of course, he is legislating from the bench. He's an activist judge. And that's why all the Democrats give him so much money. Because they look to him to legislate from the bench because that to the Democrats is one of the most important races in the state right now because they don't have the house. They don't have the Senate and they may not. And they probably won't have the governor's mansion here in a few years, hopefully here in about a, a year. And so with that in mind, their last hope to get their liberal BS agenda done is judge Shepard acting out his liberal fantasy dreams on our dutifully and properly passed laws. And I tell you this much, and I've said this in prior podcasts, I've called for the impeachment of Shepard before, and I tell you this much, the legislature better get used to the idea of starting to impeach some of these judges that get out of control. Because I'm sorry, when the Supreme Court, as liberal as it is, the state Supreme Court has come down and said, this judge is out of control. We have no clue what he's doing. That should tell you something. That should tell you something. All right. Final story. Out of Anderson County. Conservative Anderson County. I think it's pretty conservative. I don't think it's majoritive Republican yet, but you got to admit, that's not exactly like a bastion of liberal thought. Though I am pretty sure it was Anderson County that that health department person that posted about how much she hates Republicans, but accidentally on the, or she didn't say how much she hates Republicans, disliked, no, no, it was about, yeah, it was about Roe v. Wade hating Republicans, that's right. Um, I believe she was, she's in Anderson County too. So looks like you got a whole lot of bureaucrats over there. But Anderson County fires a principal for not using pronouns. Firing a principal for not using proper pronouns. Now, um, I'm going to... I'm going to read from Kentucky today. Lawrenceburg. I'm sorry, Anderson County's Lawrenceburg, not for sales, that's Woodford. It's Woodford County Health Department that had the crazy liberal in charge of their social media shocker. Anyways, <clears throat> Lawrenceburg, an Anderson County educator who is also a Kentucky Baptist pastor is taking a moral stand on an issue 
of being told to refer to students by their suggested pronouns and not being allowed to tell the child's parents if the request is made. Randy Adams, the principal of Anderson County Alternative School and pastor at Ballard Baptist in Lawrenceburg, balked at the school guidance and has been suspended with pay, though, by the school system after he wrote a Facebook post letting, letting others know about the guidelines. In the since-deleted Facebook post, Adams explained the issue and how he felt about it. After learning of the guidance, he went through proper channels, reaching out to Central Office of Anderson County with his concerns that he believes he violates the freedom of religion and free speech. He asked them to rescind the guidance before a mass email was sent to the staff, but it was to no avail. As a Christian, I cannot call a person a gender other than their biological gender, he wrote in the post. This is a sin against God. He has also said it's not, not being able to communicate with the parents about their children. We're asking from... I'm sorry. He also said not being able to communicate with the parents about what their children were asking from him amounted to lying. He said parents have a right to know. And it goes on. Here's the point. Okay, so, so the Anderson County School Board fires this guy, this pastor, principal, suspends him, sorry, suspends, for not using proper pronouns. And they cited the State Board of Education guidance. I found that education guidance, and I found um, update in September 2022. And I found what he was talking about. Let me read it to you. Is it ever appropriate... Guys, this is Kentucky, keep in mind. This isn't California. It's not Canada. It's not some liberal state I don't got to worry about. This is why we got to worry about this stuff, guys. I hate seeing that online. I hate seeing these people be like, why are we worried about this? Why do we care? Because it's coming here. And then they use your tax dollars to force it onto you. We're going to go back to that in a second. <laughs> they use your tax dollars to force it onto you. And it's bad for kids. It is. It's bad for children. The stats show it. It is not good to teach children that their body they should not feel comfortable in. It's not good to teach children to hate their bodies. <laughs> and it's not good to create a safe space for people to deal with this. This is an extreme mental health issue. And not engaging the parents is wrong, but is that what's actually going on? Let me read the guidance. Is it ever appropriate for a school to disclose sexual orientation or gender identity to a parent slash caregiver? This is from the Kentucky Department of Education. In some instances, it may be appropriate for school leaders to disclose sexual orientation or gender identity to parent or caregiver. Caregiver. Whenever possible, schools should seek to avoid an involuntary disclosure by providing support to students and encouraging them to self-disclose when they feel safe to do so. Let me ask you this. If your kid was dealing with depression issues at school, if your school caught your kid cutting themselves in the bathroom, if your school caught your kids dealing with drugs, doing self-harm, struggling with anorexia or bulimia, 
Would you want them to tell you? Should they tell you? Of course. Even the farthest left liberal would say that, yes, if my kid was caught cutting themselves in school, I would want to know so I can make sure I get them the proper help. But instead, for some reason, gender dysmorphia, an actual issue. I mean, I mean, I can tell you this. If they even think your kid, I have a son, they even think your kid has a whiff of ADD or ADHD. They call you in. They tell you all about it. And they try to, of course, get your kid, you know, taken care of and medicate them. And I don't want to go into debate about whether or not should medicate ADD or ADHD kids. Um, that's neither here nor there. Um, but <laughs> the important part is, is they let you know about everything else. Every other mental issue, every other concern with your child. But this one, this one issue, they don't want to tell you about. And I think the schools need to be asked themselves, what happens when a child is clearly dealing with gender dysmorphia, body dysmorphia, in a sense, just like anorexia or bulimia, dealing with those issues? And they're struggling. And then that leads them to committing suicide or self-harm at home. Are you going to be held liable as a school? Are you going to be held liable for making sure these kids get help? I mean, let's, let's keep that in mind, okay? Let's, let's even say you are uh, an individual who believes that um, these kids are not just suffering from a mental illness when they think they're a different gender. But let's say you believe that, um, you know, that's not a thing. You'd have to agree at least, though, that kids need help through it. And what, you're going to trust, what, the, the school counselor to help them through that? Not a doctor, psychiatrist, or therapist. The school counselor is going to be who helps them through it. I mean, I don't know about you, but I remember in high school. I remember my school counselors. And while I appreciate the hard work they tried to do, they had a lot of kids to keep track of, and I wouldn't exactly call them the utmost of mental health professionals. And nowadays, we've got so much agenda pushing going on in the schools because that's what it really is. That's the real problem. It's not that they don't want to tell you because... Well, you know, mental health, it's because if they told you, you might tell your child to snap out of it and then their indoctrination breaks. And I remember I was reading online somebody saying, ah, oh, well, you know, we indoctrinate our kids at VBS and blah, 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 blah. And we indoctrinate our kids with this or that. And to your point, I guess, if you're calling that teaching indoctrination, I guess. But the point is, is they're indoctrinated. <laughs> they are indoctrinated, but with the parents' values. Because who's ultimately responsible for them? Are they going to be living at your house, guidance counselor, teacher, when they're 18 years old and out of high school and don't know what to do with their lives? Can I send them to you? Can these parents, who you sell so fit to hide information from them, Kentucky educators that are partaking in this, 
Can they stay at your house when they're losers and don't do anything with their lives because they're struggling with mental health issues that you never bothered to get them proper treatment for or allow the parents to deal with it? Can they sleep on your couch? Of course not. Of course not. I mean, shoot, 2.30 comes along. They're not your problem anymore. Who cares that they're struggling with mental health issues the parents should know about? You create a safe space for them for a few hours, huh? A safe space where they could hide away from accountability or real treatment. And I get it. You may disagree with that parent and the way they feel about that issue, but that's not your place because it's not your child. It's the parent's. And they're ultimately going to end up responsible for it. I thank you guys so much for joining us today. And as always, please visit C4KY.com. See the number 4KY.com. Please donate to the campaign if you can. And tell your friends and family, get out there, tell them to vote for me, tell them to support me. Um, You know, it sends a message, right? Obviously, you guys know I do this episode every week. I I, I dive into a lot of issues um, that normally political people would want to shy away from or stay away from we try to dig into them and call them out as we see them so i hope you at least recognize that and and tell others to listen and tell others to support me because that's what we're going to need to win in this election thank you guys so much for joining me once again and have a great day